highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And uh, verse 35, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand. His son, of course, will be Rehoboam. We'll read about him next week. And I will give it to you, the ten tribes. And to his son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem. Every creature's unique in a song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. God promised to divide Israel and put 10 of the 12 tribes under Jeroboam as judgment for the sin and idolatry of Solomon. God would still keep one tribe under the house of David in faithfulness to his promise to David. This is the first we hear of the divided kingdom, which became Israel's history for hundreds of years after the death of Solomon. At this first description, we would expect that the ten tribes under Jeroboam would be larger, greater, and more enduring than the one tribe left to the house of David. As it worked out, just the opposite happened because the ten tribes forsook the Lord while the one tribe was more obedient. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he finishes chapter 11. Give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That's the idea. It slips. You're not even aware of it. The little things that we do, and before long, we're just not even aware of of the of the of the destruction of them and it just kind of sneaks up behind us. We're not even aware it's happening. And little by little we think we're getting away with it. And and that's the way sin is. That's the way Satan gives us. That's the carrot that he gives us. That is what it means when it says we'll slip away and a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Solomon ought to know she should have known when he first started to marry Pharaoh's daughter, somebody should have come up to him and said, uh, Solomon, I know you're really great and everything, and I'm really nervous right now telling you this, but there's a lot of really good-looking girls from Judah, really beautiful girls, and they're, they're a part of your family too. Why don't you, you know... But he had to go for the Egyptian. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you've done this and you've not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Again, there's that cause and effect, that sowing and reaping. Because you have done this, I am going to do this. There's the condition, there's the, the, the cause and the effect. The cause was him doing this evil thing, and the effect is going to be God punishing him for it. I will surely tear the kingdom away from you. And, um, and the servant that he's talking about there in verse 11 is Jeroboam. We're going to see him a little bit later on. But notice in verse 12, nevertheless, I'm not going to do it in your days, Solomon, for the sake of David. 
Not even for the sake of you, but for the sake of your father whom I spoke to and I told him that I would, I would do this in your son, David. And, I'm, and, and, and Solomon, I'm doing this through you, but because of my servant David and the promise that I made to him, I'm not going to do this in your lifetime. It's going to happen after you pass. However, I will not take the whole kingdom away. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now, they, used, they, they would think of Judah and Benjamin really kind of as one tribe, okay? Even though it's really, he says one tribe, he's really meaning Judah and Benjamin and the, four, and the northern ten would be his servants that he's going to rip out of his hand. But he's going to wait until Solomon dies and then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is going to be the one to inherit Those two tribes in the south and Jeroboam, his servant that he spoke of, is going to have the ones up north, the ten up north. And and again, just how faithful God is. And and I love, and again, this is God's promise. Because what did he tell David back in the Davidic covenant that you all have heard a lot by now? But in in 2 Samuel 7, in verse 15, let me just read one verse. It says, but my servant, and this is God, again, reaffirming the covenant with David. He says, but my servant shall not depart from him, or I'm sorry, but my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. I'm not going to remove him like I remove, I'm not going to remove your son Solomon like I remove Saul. For your sake, David, I'm going to let him live and he's going to finish his life. And and when he dies and his son takes over, that's when I'm going to bring the judgment. That's when I'm going to deal with this issue. And so the, verse 14, so the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad, the Edomite, he was a descendant of the king in Edom. Now, Edom is in the southwest or southeast of, of Israel. And for it happened when David was in Edom, and he's referring to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 8. This is where this is referring to. For it happened when David was in Edom, and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom, because for six months Joab remained there with all of Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. And Hadad fled to Egypt, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. And Hadad was still a very little child. And so now this man has been hiding in Egypt. And now uh, David has passed. Solomon is in the middle of his reign. And now Hadad, being in Egypt, is now a grown man. And now he's going to come back. He's going to be a thorn in in his side, into Solomon's side. And God was going to keep him from having to go to war, but he would antagonize. So, he's, so you got Israel here, and now you've got Hadad up here, or I'm sorry, down here in Edom, and he's creating these problems in, in the southern border of, or of Israel. And then it gets even worse than this. It says, then they, then, then they arose from Midian uh, and, uh, and came to... Uh, to Paran, and they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, a portion food for him, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him him as wife, the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister of Queen Tapanes. And then the sister of Tapanes bore him Ganubath, his son, whom Tapanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. 
and Ganubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. And so Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead. So Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. Let me go back to Edom now. And then Pharaoh said to him, but what have, what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? And he says, nothing, but just let me go away. And so he gathered men to him and he became a captain. Um, I'm sorry, I skipped verse 23. Let's go back to there. It says, and then God raised up. Now there's another adversary against him. Reason, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his lord, Hadadezer, the king of Zobah. This is now in the northern part of Israel, the northeast of Israel. So if you look at Israel here, and now you've got this area of Zobah, which is in the area of Syria, and then now you've got, so he's raising up now and, and, and flexing his muscles, and now you've got this other guy that we were just reading about down in the south from Edom, now he's coming up. So now Solomon's land is now encompassed from the north and the south by these guys who are just flies. They're just annoyances. And they're, they're not coming in to just try to destroy because they'd probably be clobbered. But at the time, it was just an annoyance. And God was allowing it to get Solomon's attention. And so he was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. And so then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zereda, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. And this was the cause, for, and this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo, which is a landfill there in Jerusalem, and he repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now the house of Joseph, remember, is uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh are the sons of Joseph, right? And so whenever you hear from now on the land, the land of Ephraim or the, uh, the northern ten tribes, it, it kind of goes by the name Ephraim. So when you hear Ephraim going forward speaking of the northern ten tribes, that's because that was, that was the predominant uh, tribe in the northern ten tribes. And, uh, and so now it happened, verse 29... When Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way. And he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. And so Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him, and he tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, "'Take for yourself ten pieces.'" For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. Now, this was already spoken while Solomon was still alive. And so Ahijah meets him out in the field, meets Solomon, or meets uh, Jeroboam, excuse me, takes this robe that he has, tears it into twelve pieces, hands him ten pieces, signifying the ten tribes of, in the north. He says, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe. Again, it was really two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. But they called it Judah, which um, spoke for really both of them. 
Take, um, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me. That's why he's doing it. That's why he's tearing these twelve tri- or ten tribes out of Solomon's hand after Solomon passes. This is why I'm doing it. And this is what he says. Because they have forsaken me, verse 33. And they've worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. They've worshipped Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. They've worshipped Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. How many times have we heard that now? At least four times. Verse 34, however, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of who? My servant David. Take good comfort in that. If you've really made a mess of your life and made some really bad decisions, the best thing for you to do is to confess and turn and follow the Lord with everything of your being, with every part of your being, and God will say, oh, I love that man. I love that woman. He will forget. Once you confess, he's going to take all that stuff that you've done and just go, I have a perfect memory, and I can perfectly forget. And on the merits of the blood of my son, I choose to never recall those again. And Satan will bring them up, but I don't know where they are because my blood, my, the blood of my son covers them, so I can't see them any longer. They're gone. That's how wonderful it is. And that's the best thing you can do if you've really messed up. Make a 180-degree turn. That's what repentance is. It's thinking differently, turning the opposite direction and going in the opposite direction. That's what repentance really is. It's not playing fancy with the sin. It's turning from it and beating feet the other direction. Right? And uh, verse 35, But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand. His son, of course, will be Rehoboam. We'll read about him next week. And I will give it to you, the ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem. Notice, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. Isn't it interesting? And I know I'm keeping you hanging there with me. We're almost done. But don't you find it interesting that God says, this is my land? All I want is Jerusalem. All I want is Israel, and that's all I want. It's about the size of New Jersey. And the whole world gets ticked off when God says, this is my land, and I'm going to give it to a certain group of people. You can have all that other stuff. I mean, if somebody told me you can have New Jersey, I'd say, no thanks. But no offense if you're from New Jersey. My wife is from New Jersey, so I can say that. (laughs) So, anyway... Isn't it amazing? God just wants to hold on to one sliver of land. Just a little piece. You can't even, you have to zoom in. You have to zoom in a lot to see it. Oh, there, okay. And the devil's like, oh, you can't have that. Well, just give me all of the United States. <gasps> no, it's, it's mine. All I want is this little sliver of land, the people in it. And what have we seen over the years? Just wars, wars, rumors of wars, killing, slaying, Israel's altar, the whole Temple Mount is filled with... I mean, think of how much blood has been shed on the Temple Mount. Even before 1948. Verse 37, So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart's desire, Jeroboam, and you shall be king over Israel... And then it shall be, and here it is, here's here's God giving to Jeroboam the same conditional promise that he gave to Solomon. In a nutshell, notice, 
Circle these words. And then it shall be, this is verse 38, circle the word if. So, Jeroboam, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight, keep my statutes, my commandments, as my servant David did. There it is again. Goodness sakes, how many times is he going to mention David? They're probably going, David this, David that. Ay, ay, ay. So then, then, circle the word then. Because then, if you do this, then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for who? Joe? No, David. And will give Israel to you. Notice, again, the conditional promise. And do you think God knew in his heart that this man would be the most, one of the most evil men? It would be Jeroboam who would take, and we're going to find this later, he's going to set two images, one in Bethel and one in Dan. We, we actually visit the altar in Dan. It's still there. It's broken down, but we visit that altar. And they built sacrifice. They, they sacrificed children on that altar. And we go to that very same spot and see what he did in that same area. And from that moment on, all of the kings of Israel, the northern ten tribes, They never once turned away from their idolatry. That's why God led them into captivity first. In 721, he says, I've had it with you. Notice in verse 39, and I will afflict, and and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. And Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Doesn't this sound very reminiscent of what we were just reading in Matthew recently, this last Sunday morning? How Mary and Joseph had to flee Bethlehem. They had to go into Egypt. And they had to wait there until God told them in a dream that Herod had died and those who were seeking to kill him. And then they, brought, then they were able to come back and then they went up to Nazareth. Very similar kind of thing. And now it comes to the final conclusion, the denouement, (laughs) the death of Solomon. Notice all the stuff that he did, all the wealth, all the fame, all the women, all the wine, all the song, all the stuff. So now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did in his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? So somewhere... Somewhere, hopefully, wouldn't it be interesting? Somewhere, maybe even in the Qumran area, you know, there's been so many earthquakes over the years in that area. Perhaps somewhere under some huge monoliths of rock, there's in some little, little encasement, perhaps this, the book of the Acts of Solomon hasn't been found yet. But the Bible tells us that it did exist, but we, nobody knows where it is. And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. And so we end with Solomon's life. And you think about it, we, we, we looked at 11 chapters of this man's life and it, we, we see the plot from the, from the very beginning, the exposition, the, the rising action, the climax, the falling action, and then finally his end the conclusion of it all. And then for Solomon to write later on the book of Ecclesiastes after he's had all this fun in the world. And I would encourage you to read Ecclesiastes because that was a book that he wrote after he had had his flirting with the world and after how the Lord, I'm sure, humbled him very deeply as a result of that. I believe Solomon's in heaven, but he he made some really bad mistakes. And you read Ecclesiastes and you find... The, the, the heart of a man who has been broken 
who realized that all the stuff that God had told him was true. And now he's even more wise, isn't he? But wiser it would have been for him to listen the first time. right? He didn't have to go through that, but he did. And God will use it. And isn't he using it? Because every time you read Ecclesiastes, folks, you're going to realize it doesn't pay to continue in sin. And he says, it's all vanity. It's all emptiness. It's all emptiness. And don't you know that as you get older? You know, as we get older, as you've been, and maybe you got saved later on in life, but I got saved when I was 24, but I, I got saved at a time where I had done a lot of evil, wicked things. Most people have. And I know those things. I wished I didn't have to know those things. I wish I didn't have to go down that road for me to learn. <laughs> Why couldn't I have just listened? And my life would have been so much better my life, my heart would be less scarred. I'd be more valuable now to the Lord because I wouldn't have this baggage that, you know, that I had when I, you know, going through all of that. But, isn't it true? Romans 8.28. God will work all those things to the good to them that love him. And we can use those things that we have really messed up on and, and, and we can, through God's grace, we can turn around and say, you know what, young person, and I look forward to having these relationships, these talks with my daughter. We're already starting to have them. We know what you're going through. We've been there. We've done that. We understand. You don't think we understand, but we really do. We've been through it. We've walked through it. And would you just listen? You know, and that's the heartache of every parent, isn't it? You tell your kids. You tell your grandkids the truth. You read to them. You make them accountable. And then you get the phone call at midnight on Saturday. And they did the exact opposite. <laughs> and now you've got to go pick them up somewhere. You've got to bail them out of jail. You've got to pick them up at some guy's house where he got drunk and he's driving a car and your daughter's in the car and she's freaking out. She finally gets to the house, makes the call, Dad, come pick me up. And then all the way on the drive home, you don't even have to say anything. Because in your heart, she already knows. She's made the best. She's going to have something to really hold on to. And she'll probably never, ever do that again. But isn't it a shame? God tells us. He tells us in advance. So you know what? Let's just uh, let's stand together and pray. Thank you for your patience. I know you're used to this by now. I don't mean to go long, but I could probably go shorter if I had my act together better. So forgive me. So Father, we just thank you. Uh, thank you for the warnings of the scripture, Lord. Thank you for the accountability that is there. And Father, help us to, uh, to learn the first time. Lord, even as adults, Lord, we, we've heard these things over and over again. And yet, Father, somehow we find our old nature, Lord, if we're not careful, that old nature wants to rear its head from time to time. And Lord, we've got to smack it like a whack-a-mole. We've got to hit it. Lord, don't ever let it rise again. And when it does, Father, help us to choose righteousness, to choose the right thing, and to walk in truth and in righteousness, Lord. Would you please do that in myself and in my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord? And thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, you are so good to us. We could never deserve you, Jesus. 
And we are so blessed that you call us children. You call us your sons and your daughters. And you'll never look upon those sins ever again, Lord. You choose not to because, not of our good works, but because of the blood of Christ that covers us. Thank you and hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.